0: In the space of five months we went from having a production line and a a very high level process to first vials coming off the line which we knew would then end up in patients and the feeling of those first vials coming off the line was absolutely incredible. As an engineer I, I like to be able to see things, to be able to almost put my hands on things so that I can understand how they work, where they're working well and where they're working not so well, to then improve them. So holding a vial in my hand and knowing that that was going to go into the arm of, of a patient somewhere, it was a proper career defining moment and I will never forget that.
1: Welcome to Engineering Matters, I'm Bernadette Ballantyne.
2: And I'm Alex Conacher. And in this episode, we are speaking to an engineer who did something remarkable.
1: Something that saved thousands of lives and won us back our freedoms.
2: We're speaking to an engineer that, along with a team of dedicated professionals, set up a COVID-19 vaccine factory in record time.
1: So that people like you and I could be vaccinated as quickly as possible.
2: And not just you and I. By the end of November 2021, 7.7 billion COVID-19 vaccine doses have been administered all around the world.
1: 114 million of these are in the UK, which means almost 70% of the population is fully vaccinated.
2: This has only been possible thanks to world-leading scientific research that went into creating COVID-19 vaccines in record-breaking time.
1: But not many people realise that this is only part of the story. To get these vaccines into the arms of the global population meant that manufacturing faced a challenge that it had never seen before.
2: It was a problem that only engineers could solve. Engineers like Alice Khan.
0: My name is Alice Khan I am a pharmaceutical manufacturing engineer and I've spent most of my career in the pharmaceutical industry from an operational perspective working in production facilities or delivering improvements to make production facilities more efficient. And now I work for my own company, Candy Ventures.
1: Back in 2020, Alice was headhunted to become programme manager for what's known as the fill finish manufacture for one of the COVID-19 vaccines.
0: Fill finish is, is effectively the second part of the vaccine manufacturing process probably the simplest way the simplest analogy to use to describe it is it's a bit like making orange squash somebody produces the concentrated orange and that is the drug substance and then the dilution of the orange into orange squash, so it's something you can then drink, is effectively the fill finish. So it incorporates formulating the drug substance into the liquid that is then injected into patients, putting that liquid into vials, sealing it so that it's it's kept sterile until point of use. Then labelling it so that it's really clearly identifiable um, and we know that patients are getting what they're expecting and then putting it into cartons and shippers so that it can then be distributed safely and effectively without damage to the product.
2: Described like this, it sounds very simple, but that is what engineers do. They break things down into manageable problems.
0: And the challenge was to produce 100 million doses of the vaccine, and the starting point was we have a production line And we know we need to produce 100 million doses. We don't have a process, but this is what we need to do and we need to do this as quickly as possible because the UK population are depending on us and this is going to be one of our main elements in the fight against Covid."
1: Not only that, the project was being scrutinised by the government, the media, and the general public who were hungry for information about how soon vaccines would be available.
0: I had a weekly meeting with the Vaccines Task Force so that we could share, this is our plan, These, this is how many vials you should expect to get at what point, because we were part of a much, much bigger machine. It, it wasn't just about the manufacture, we could have manufactured a 100 million doses, but if we couldn't get them out to the vaccination centres and then into patients' arms, again, what's, what's the point? You have a load of vaccines sitting in a warehouse somewhere that's no good to anybody.
2: Not only did manufacturing at scale and pace have to happen fast, it had to be coordinated with the logistics chain so that the vaccination centres knew how many doses to expect and when.
1: But vaccine production is a biological process. So, unlike a production line for car components, for example, putting the same quantities of the same ingredients into two different batches can result in two different quantities of drug substance, which then impacts on the number of doses produced.
0: So, a lot of the work I did with the vaccines task force, again, it was about being brutally honest about what was possible and what was not possible and being clear on why. Everybody across the board involved with COVID vaccines, I know they've put in ridiculous hours. They've been doing their absolute best. And things inevitably didn't always go according to plan. But one of the really important parts of my role was to be really honest about: yes, we said we were gonna get you a hundred thousand doses and they'd be ready to ship tomorrow. Actually, We had a bit of an issue. We're making sure that we've put that right, so that the the product quality is not compromised, and therefore, you're not going to have them for another couple of days. Then, talking to the vaccines task force, they would then need to speak to Public Health England, who were involved with the vaccine centres, so that they could ensure there were enough patients coming to have the vaccines, there were enough staff there to administer the vaccine. So it was a, it was a very complicated system.
2: Predictability was everything, even an acceleration in production was not necessarily good news.
0: If we suddenly produced an extra an extra thousand vials, that's an extra ten thousand doses that is a significant change. Not in normal pharmaceutical manufacture. if you produce a bit more, it doesn't matter because it's going to sit in a in a warehouse for a month and then be used to replenish stock elsewhere. We were shipping batches out and within a week they were in somebody's arm and that again is completely unheard of in pharmaceuticals. Normally you have stock holdings at various parts in the supply chain so that any variability in your manufacturing process which is likely to be where most of it happens, any variability in your output is absorbed through this stock holding a bit further downstream and we just didn't have that.
1: to really understand what Alice and everyone else in the process was up against, we need to understand how to make a vaccine.
0: So the first consideration is the incoming drug substance, which was going to be supplied to us from a drug substance manufacturer.
2: Or going back to our earlier analogy, the concentrated orange squash.
0: So we had to plan for, it could potentially be minus 80 or it could be just normal refrigeration between two and eight degrees. So we had to get our facility set up ready we had to estimate what's the likely volume how how is it going to come in what is the what's the practical necessity of a fridge or a freezer that we were going to use it needed to be big enough to hold one at least one um, container of drug substance and again the drug substance manufacturers weren't quite sure exactly what that was going to look like so uh, this gives a really good example of the whole process we had to plan for four or five different options of every at every decision point in the process which is not normal at all
1: what's more this was a global race companies and governments all over the world were buying up freezers for the same purpose
0: so we we had we ordered in a lot of upright freezers but they had to be a very specific size to um, take the containers of the drug substance coming in. So then we, we thawed it using a, con- a, a piece of equipment to do a controlled thaw. Then we had liquid drug substance that was held between two and eight degrees.
2: This is a normal fridge temperature and from here it was taken into the sterile production facility.
0: So the sterile production facility is cleaner than an operating theatre. Anything you take in, whether it's equipment, whether it's products, whether it's people, they all need to be clean and making sure that they are not causing contamination to the product. So it's it's all around protecting the product, not protecting the people who work there.
1: Full bodysuits, protective masks, special shoes, double gloves. And only when operators are fully gowned up, Are they allowed to work on the product?
2: The next step was to transfer this cold, liquid drug substance into the formulation vessel.
0: And we do that by connecting up tubing, using quite a lot of different taps and valves, and effectively the whole system is fully contained. So for this we had a large, cube, stainless steel vessel within which sits a single-use bag.
2: Imagine the kind of bag that a blood donation is collected in, just much larger.
0: It would hold about 1100 to 1200 litres maximum. So we would put in the drug substance, which would be quite a small proportion of the overall, and then we dilute it with what's known as buffer, and the buffer is formulated specifically for that product. Buffer itself is a sort of generic
1: term for the diluting liquid and its content depends on what's being manufactured. This is then mixed with the drug substance, so the orange cordial becomes orange squash, which can then be bottled into the glass vials that will be sent to vaccination centres.
0: But it wasn't that easy. One of the main considerations we had was the time out of refrigeration. For any time that the concentrated drug substance or the formulated drug product, the time that that was outside of or above eight degrees, we had to keep a record of every minute that it was outside of that because we had a limit that we had, to, we had to stick to to ensure that the quality could be guaranteed of the product. So that was a really, really critical thing for us to be measuring all the way through the process.
1: In fact, the process was designed to maintain these cold temperatures.
0: And so when we were designing the process, we were we were trying to build in refrigeration all the way along the process as far as possible. But there are parts of the process where that just isn't possible.
1: This included the process where the drug product is transferred into the filling machine, which places it into the glass vials.
0: And the vials are what um, the nurses or the doctors who are giving the injections they, they take a dose out of that vial to then put into the arm of a patient and we were producing into multi-use vials with more than one with more than one dose because that is an easier process to establish than it is to have a single use syringe which is effectively its own closed system.
2: This meant that millions of glass vials were needed fast.
0: And one of the one of the other um, major considerations that the government really thought about well ahead of time was if everyone in the world or if a lot of people around the world are trying to manufacture vaccines, glass vials are the obvious solution to have several doses in one vial. So the UK government bought up millions of glass vials in different sizes so that they had a stockpile of vials to ensure that, yes, if it would have been great, we could have made all this drug product, but if we had no vials to put it in, again, you then can't get it to the patient. So there were lots of things that that the government had thought about up front to help the process.
2: But some things were more difficult to control.
0: So because vaccines are a biological process, It's dependent on cell growth, which is far less predictable than making a tablet, which is a chemical process. And therefore you can predict if you put in this amount, you'll get out that amount. With a biological process, sometimes you can find you get a yield of 80%. Other times you can get a yield of 120%. And it's really difficult to predict. The answer was to really study the data from the first
1: few batches.
0: And You can see the first once we'd done the first sort of 15 batches, the control of the process suddenly got a lot better through experience. And you'd expect that. But I've never been involved where I've I've had all of that data, because usually the process, all of that's been done before you start your commercial scale manufacture. So I've learned a huge amount of things that aren't strictly part of any role I've had before. But in this case, it was I just had to do what was needed, understand the data, and then to, tr- to use that data to have really honest conversations with people.
2: Quality control was also a crucial part of the filling process.
0: Part of the quality control process happens as you're filling the vials. So we were using an automated high-speed filling line. And there are various critical parameters, things like your fill volume. You need to be really confident that if you're planning to get 10 doses out of a vial, you've got 10 times the amount per dose, plus a little bit of overage, plus however much volume is then held up in the needle following the vaccination. So again, some really experienced scientists were involved in terms of let's calculate what the fill volume is that we need. We looked at how accurate and consistent our filling process was, and then we established our limits.
1: Sterile stoppers and seals were then placed on top of each vial before it could be sent for labelling and packing.
0: So once you've got these filled vials, because of the need to keep them refrigerated, they would be put into trays and kept refrigerated until they're ready to be inspected.
1: But this wasn't as straightforward as originally planned. Automated inspection machines had to examine the vials at room temperature so that any cracks in the glass, particulates in the drug product or problems with the stoppers and seals could be detected. If the vials came straight from the fridge, there'd be condensation, which could mask any issues. Again, the timing issue was critical and the process had to include measuring every minute that the vials were out of the refrigerators to ensure that it wasn't so long that quality was affected.
2: The next step was to apply labels and you might think that this is one of the more simple parts of the process.
0: So I think most, most people think that labelling and packaging is the easy part of a pharmaceutical production process. Having worked in packaging for about seven years in a previous role, I would suggest it's just as complicated, it's just differently complicated to the formulation or the filling part of the process.
2: Again, the team had to get the right balance between having the product at room temperature long enough to ensure there was no condensation, but not so long that it could affect the quality of the batch.
0: So the vials were labelled and then they went through the packaging line so they were put into PTFE trays to hold the vials still. And then the trays of vials were put into a carton and then the cartons were put into a shipper ready to then go onto a pallet. And then the pallets were wrapped and then they would be shipped out. That wasn't all though, security was tight. So as, as part of the cartoning process, Tamper-evident labels are applied to each end of the carton so it's immediately obvious to the person who thinks they're opening the carton for the first time whether they are actually opening it for the first time or whether it had been tampered with. So that's a standard across cartons for all medication now.
2: Under EU law, each carton had to be serialised as a measure to protect against counterfeiting.
0: So every carton has a unique number and a QR code so that at the point of dispensing, the QR code can be scanned. And that QR code shows this product was made in this factory, on this production line, on this date. It may only be the month or on a specific day so that the person dispensing that drug knows it's a genuine article and it isn't a counterfeit. And there was some added complexity around that part of the process, given Brexit and not being able to upload things to the European database anymore. So we had to, again, we had to look at a slightly different process for doing it. But, you know, it's a requirement we need to ensure that people are getting actual product and not a counterfeit of it.
1: Given the impossible nature of the task at hand, problems had to be solved as they emerged. In the past, any other pharmaceutical or vaccine going into production would already have had the commercial scale process tested and determined before moving to the manufacturing phase. In this case, it was being done in tandem, meaning that all possible permutations and combinations of processing, temperature, packaging and so on were evolving.
0: So we had to try to design a process that accounted for this potential flexibility Whilst being constrained by, you need a validated process, which means the process runs exactly the same day in, day out, so that the patient at the end of the day gets exactly the same product whether they've got it from vial number one or vial number 100 million. It shouldn't matter.
2: Getting to this point was only possible because everyone involved made this task their number one priority
0: people would prioritise being in meetings to discuss. For example, when we were discussing labelling, we ensured we'd got our labelling experts, the vaccine manufacturer had got their labelling experts, and we worked together to look at what's the best way forward. I think because of this really clear purpose, and also a daily reminder at five o'clock that we really need to get this sorted as soon as possible to prevent more deaths and to ensure that people are protected, It really focuses on having some very effective and efficient conversations in a way that maybe hadn't been necessary before.
1: Prioritisation, collaboration and all parties working towards a common goal were all key to achieving a successful vaccine manufacturing capability. This was particularly critical for the licensing process because usually a license is applied for once the commercial process has been tested and determined. But this was happening alongside the development of the manufacturing process. So the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA, had to do things differently too.
2: That is not to say the process didn't go through all of the necessary regulatory processes. It did.
0: One of the things I heard a lot of was, well, how how can you possibly be sure that it's a quality product given you've taken such a short period of time compared to the usual process, you know, you must have cut corners. And I think the best way I can explain it is that the normal development of a new pharmaceutical product, whether it's a vaccine or a tablet or um, an injectable of some description, is that it's like driving from North London to South London in rush hour. It's slow, you have to wait your turn, the lights are regularly on red. And therefore, it isn't a quick and efficient process. The process we went through was more like doing the same journey. But imagine that we're the queen. You've got an escort, the police are on hand, the roads are shut, every light's on green. So you're doing exactly the same distance. You just haven't got all the other traffic to worry about.
1: For example, in terms of licensing, the team would send data to the MHRA as they got it rather than waiting until all of the research was complete, compiling a report and then waiting in line behind hundreds of other companies for that to be reviewed. The MHRA worked in tandem too and production of all COVID-19 vaccines went
0: straight to the front of the queue. So if, if we'd have followed the usual process, we would have had to have made... You, you normally do three validation batches, you also cover your all your clinical trial data and it all gets submitted in one big submission to the MHRA.
2: Then you wait, and this can take months.
0: They then review it and grant you a licence and then every batch you make is released by the vaccine manufacturer under that licence. Because commercial
1: scaling up and manufacturing are happening in tandem, so licensing happened in tandem too. All of the same information was ultimately provided to the MHRA, but it was in real time instead of months in advance of production. And it was covered under a law specifically for the provision of medicines in a pandemic situation.
0: This is another example of where we were doing things concurrently but the MHRA were effectively releasing every batch rather than us waiting for a licence, which could have taken a couple of months even in this situation.
2: Ultimately, this collaboration, the problem-solving and the sheer determination of the people working behind the scenes ensured that the UK had COVID-19 vaccines ready to be given to the most vulnerable in society in record time. For Alice, who had been working around the clock, it was momentous.
0: And the feeling of those first vials coming off the line was absolutely incredible. As an engineer, I I like to be able to see things, to be able to almost put my hands on things so that I can understand how they work, where they're working well and where they're working not so well, to then improve them. So holding a vial in my hand and knowing that that was going to go into the arm of, of a patient somewhere, It was a proper career defining moment and I will never forget that. The day before the first vials came off the line, when the first batch was started, we had a visit from the Prime Minister and walking him down the line, a fresh pair of eyes who is not in pharmaceutical manufacturing day in, day out and explaining an overview of the process, what we've been through to get to this point, suddenly made me realise just what we'd achieved. Because when you're in the detail and the 14 hour days and waking up in the middle of the night thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't do that. Sometimes it's really hard to remember kind of just what you have done. So having somebody independent coming to have a look and to talk to the team about how they've got to where they've got to was really helpful to take that step back and think, do you know what? We've done a really good job here.
1: And this is important to bear in mind, as nearly two years since the first cases of unspecified pneumonia in Wuhan, China were reported to the World Health Organization, we're still living with the COVID-19 virus and its many variants. More vaccines might be needed for this and other pandemics in the
0: future.
2: It's safe to say that Alice has learned a lot from this experience.
0: So I think the first thing to say is, Vaccine manufacturing in the UK has been a massive success. It is one of the success stories of the pandemic. I think the vaccines task force being set up by the government with a lot of very experienced people across the board, some with pharmaceutical manufacturing experience, but a lot coming from other industries and using their expertise in terms of supply chain, in terms of leading manufacturing, you know, all sorts of things that have come together with some really good people who have all wanted to make this happen. And the vaccine task force was always also very forward thinking in terms of reserving capacity in different factories, of getting the right components on order so that we weren't hampered by a shortage of glass vials, for example, which was a real concern at one point.
2: It was also important to be able to have difficult conversations in a pressurised environment.
0: I think probably one of the one of the most critical lessons I've learned is you can't avoid difficult conversations. Where you're really up against it in terms of time pressures, and you're constantly being reminded on a daily basis of how serious the situation is and knowing that what you're doing is part of the solution, being able to have those hard conversations. And sometimes I had to say no to the government and it probably wasn't what they wanted to hear. But I knew that if I told them what they wanted to hear and then didn't deliver, the consequences would be far worse because of the knock-on effect to the vaccination centres, the doctors and nurses doing the vaccines and ultimately to the patients. So it is okay to say no. At a personal level, Alice says
1: that her family have been really proud and supportive.
0: I think possibly one of my proudest moments is that my five-year-old nephew was really clear on what I'd done and he was telling people at school my auntie's working on this so we don't have to stay in bubbles at school and normally your 5-year-old nephew doesn't really have a clue what you do in sort of in the fundamentals of it so so that was you know personally and and actually my teenage children are quite proud which that's quite a difficult challenge is, is making your teenage children proud of you they usually don't really want to speak to you so they they are certainly proud of the fact I was involved with all this
1: as well they might be Thanks to a huge effort from across the pharmaceutical, manufacturing and political sectors, the UK became the first Western country to begin a mass vaccination programme and death rates began to fall. Ultimately,
0: and it's a bit cheesy because I own a business called Can Do Ventures, but I believe you can do anything. If you've got a clear goal and you've got a really good team around you, it's possible to do the impossible. And certainly at the start of this, I remember being told, we're just asking you to do the impossible, only quicker. And I think we did that. We did do what five years ago I would have said was impossible to shorten the timescales of get, getting a product into a patient within the space of six months is unheard of, but it would have been it would have been impossible without collaboration and people working towards this very clear common goal and ignoring the boundaries of different organisations and roles and responsibilities. We were all pulling together in the same direction for the same end.
1: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, this episode was written and produced by Bernadette Ballantyne. The co-host was Alex Conacher. Sound engineering was by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our own executive vaccine producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Alice Can of CanDo Ventures. Thank you for listening. You can find Engineering Matters on all podcast apps, on Facebook, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And don't forget to check out our website and sign up to our newsletter for the latest engineering announcements and developments from all over the world.